The speed that it helps you think about stuff and spark new channels in your brain is just incredible. We switch this thing on and all of a sudden we've got a thousand new ideas and new directions to go in. What do you think of like translating as well? So like in terms of a, an English you know, an English business. I think it's better than Google Translate, but I think it can go off very wrong. It can go a lot less well than Google as well. It's kind of less safe. AI might take our jobs. I mean, do you, what do you say to that then? Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of an Agency Owner. I'm Chris Ailey, your host, and today my guests are Charlie Hunt and Chris Wright from Proof Content. Their agency has been embracing AI to help not just create content for their clients, but to define their key messaging and positioning within their market. And they do this using a number of in-house scripts and tools, along with some pretty clever processes to provide the inspirational ideas that help their clients stick out from the crowd. This move into AI has seen Charlie and Chris change their business model, using AI and content editors together to reduce the need for a mass freelancer army, especially when it comes to basic website content. But my big question is, should copywriters fear or embrace AI? As content experts, I was keen to pick their brains and understand more about how AI can help us produce better content. Have a listen. So, Charlie and Chris, hi, how are you? All right? Good. How are you? Good morning. Well, take it boo. Yeah. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, so just to start, really, if you could just give a bit of an introduction to Proof Content, um, who you are, what you do, and also how you two came to work together, because I know it's quite a newish relationship, isn't it? Yeah, so I founded Proof Content about 10 years ago. I think 10 and a half, LinkedIn told me the other day. And the original idea was to create content. I was freelance writing and editing while I was at uni and I just felt that there was this gap between very keyword stuffed content that was just written for AI and um, very, you know, stuff where people were spending hours discussing whether the word moist was correct and I thought there was a way to do it more efficiently um, and better. And it's kind of evolved since then so we're much more focused now on key messaging and positioning. Um, and we do spend hours now discussing whether the word moist is appropriate. So that's because we have, have a very short amount of words to, to describe a company in now. Um, and the way Chris and I started working together is Chris has a, a startup called TaskPage, which is a productivity tool. It's very hard to explain what it is. And we, we actually still haven't finished that work because it hasn't got the funding yet. Um, but we started working on that a few years ago and we kind of put together both of our processes and we just created this mega, mega process. process and yeah, from there we, we haven't really looked back. We just, uh, yeah, we've worked for some brilliant clients and, and it's been great. So AI is really sort of at the forefront now of, of, of the business model. Is that right? It's, um, it, we use it for two different things. So we, sometimes we don't use it at all, but we, it definitely helps with all of our key messaging projects it's so good with ideation and it's almost like a an external brain and it just thinks in a totally different way to us so it's so good for ideation um then we also sometimes do these kind of huge website rewrites and uh seo content projects and we use ai as the base for that and then it always has to have a human editor on the top 
Okay, yeah, because I mean, to to a sort of novice, they sort of log into ChatGPT for the first time or something, and they'll ask it to write a blog post or write a product description, but that's not even touching the surface, is it? I mean, um, can you just talk about what AI is and what it isn't in terms of how you use it for content? Chris, you want to take this one? Yeah, we like to look at AI as really as our creative wingman in a lot of the projects that we do. Um, there's a, a quote I read by Kevin Kelly, and he explained that um, AI will give us new ways of thinking. Like when we when we invented flight, we looked to nature and we invented a new way of flying that didn't exist in nature before. And and we like to use AI in the same kind of way. We like to use it in in thinking in ways we've not done before. So. For example, we might ask it to create a hundred profiles of um, B2B buyers. And then we might ask it to criticize its own output against those hundred profiles that it's just written um, in terms of how they would understand and interpret what it's doing and that, that kind of thing. So um, for us, it, it is a new way of thinking. It's not a way of producing perfect content output for us yet it will be one day um it produces perfect content on certain levels like if we're doing you know 10,000 e-commerce product descriptions or something like that it's great for that kind of thing if you're doing short um non-fact checked blog posts or something like that it's pretty good for that um but it's not a good thing to create a, a 3,000 word piece of complex content not unless you're getting it to iterate and layer over itself again and again and again, which you can't do in the standard chat GPT interface. So you're using it very much for the the research stage, I guess, then, of, of the of the content. Is that right? You're using it to help you with your tone of voice with the audience, with the personas of, of who's listening it, rather than the actual output and the language. Is that correct? Not exactly. We do use it for some ideation. So it's very good for, you know, give me 20 ideas about such and such. You know, give me, give me, 12 talking points on blah, 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 blah. But it's really for, for thinking about the words and the language and the interpretation of what we've written um, and coming at it from new angles. So could you sort of walk us through um, the process of how you'd create a piece of content with AI from sort of idea generation to what you finally output? Yeah, so we do that. I mean, you can't really do it in the ChatGPT interface. You can, but it's really laborious. So we, right. we've written our own suite of tools that we call Pudding. <laughs> Pudding sits over the top of GPT and some other, some other AI um, APIs. So a really simple way of explaining it might be that you know, when, when we write the book on stage, for example, we're taking a prompt. We're then getting GPT to think of some ideas relative to that prompt. And then we're getting... GPT to think of talking points around the ideas that it's done and then splitting out those talking points into paragraphs. And then we're getting it to write each of those individual pieces of content. And we're getting it to remember what it's done before, which we can do now with the chat GPT API because it's, it's a, a conversational API. So it remembers what it's done before. So the stuff it produces is more in context. Um, and then we're getting it to kind of melange that stuff together a little bit and summarize it so it's less staccato than it would be if we if we just did it on individual pieces and then we're getting it to write that final piece so you really have to sort of nurture this this tool right so you have to get it has to get to know you i guess and, and learn and the more you feed it the better the output yeah you've got to work with it in little bits basically you've got to work right. with it in in piecemeal um 
and try and maintain that conversational thread throughout. That's the tricky part. And you can do that in multiple sessions, I guess, and not you know you don't have to sit there for hours. In the to it. in the chat interface, yeah, you can do that in multiple sessions because it you know when it remembers your chats on the left hand side, that's basically what it's doing. It's remembering the context of what you spoke about earlier, which is how come you can say stuff like, "Oh, go back to that original recipe we were talking about," and it knows mm. what you're talking about, whereas the old GPT didn't. It just used to forget everything. It was transactional. So is this? How has this changed your your business model? I mean, in terms of like your team and everything else, is it is it grown or has your team shrunk or have you um you know the roles of the people in your team changed more to sort of an editor rather than a, a creator yeah so the team definitely shrunk we also have a network of 150 freelance writers that we work with and that's definitely shrinking um the the writers who are brilliant experts in different topics they will not be replaced by ai for quite some time i think um but yeah in terms the the roles of our writers as well um they still have to use their creativity they still have to be brilliant writers but they need to be much better at rewriting rather than writing from scratch um and i think you know we could get away for a few more years i, I reckon we could get away with just staying the same if we wanted to but i i think at some point it's gonna it's going to come to the point where, you know, that's just not really a skill that's needed as much anymore. So I just, my, my priority is training my team so that their careers are safe and they are kind of keeping up to date with everything. So again, I, mean, I guess one of the, the big things for, for copywriters is the, the fear, and in, you know, amongst marketing, is the fear that AI might take our jobs. I mean, do you, what, what do you say to that then? I think it will take our jobs as we know them, but I don't think that, you know, I think with the internet, we probably thought that that would take jobs with the industrial revolution. We thought machines would take jobs, but we invent jobs and the, the economy only works with a certain level of unemployment. So we have to rethink our whole society if AI takes our jobs and someone like Jeff Bezos, for example, can't be rich if everybody can't give him money and buy things through Amazon. So. I don't think there's any grand conspiracy to get rid of all of our jobs. I just think we don't know, and I'm not clever. I'm not stupid enough to think I'm clever enough to know what it's going to look like in 10 years, but I think it will look very different. Is there anything that you think copywriters should be doing now, like you say, widening their skill set or looking at things in a different way that might perhaps help them in the future? Or Yeah, learning how to work with AI, giving it prompts. <laughs> getting more efficient like seeing how it can bring ideas it's really it's great it gets rid of a lot of the boring stuff um but it does it takes a little while to learn how to use it and and how to feed it prompts and how it works so as soon as people can start the better it's also there'll be a different there are two levels of content quality if you like very broadly there's there's the stuff that you might get on text broker or something like that, the kind of, you know, five cents of word type content um, that's designed to pick up in search engines when you're searching for like, how do I fix my washing machine, whatever. That kind of thing has got away. That's, that's easy to write with AI now. It's also probably no longer necessary because we're starting to use GPT, sorry, ChatGPT as a search interface for that kind of thing. And we're not, mm. we're not being pulled out to websites to find out how to fix our washing machine. Um, but the flip side is that 
really high quality content. So the sort of journalistic content, the long form journalistic content that you find in in um, more higher end publications will probably become more in demand because that's the only way you'll get people to websites now is to is to have really great content that people want to actually read and seek out and read. So I think the copywriter's job has probably changed. Like a, a swathe of copywriters is, is, are at risk. They're the kind who are writing that sort of five cents a word content. But the kind with the super high quality, the good writing, the, the quality journalistic type writing and editing, I think they're safe for a very long time. Mm. And how, I mean, on that on that sort of five cent content, how do you see Google and, and SEO evolving with with AI? Because if everyone just suddenly starts populating their websites with with you know really quick AI written content, is that not a risk? Is that is that not a dangerous game to play? Because if Google suddenly says, "Well, everyone's feeding out the same stuff here, we're going to penalise them," how would you approach that? Say, say you know you've got a mass scale project for one of your clients that want I don't know, say three thousand pages of, of category text written. How do you use that AI to make sure that that content is unique, um, but also making sure that you know it doesn't sort of lose personality and and it's not just this churned out uh, copy. Human editors. So I think, <laughs> yeah. I think there's also this myth that AI kind of stitches together other content from the rest of the internet, but it doesn't really work that way. It, it, it's predictive. So none of it would ever be duplicate. A lot of it will be boring. A lot of it will be just repeating the same things that it's heard on other websites. Um, and not any, any any of its own creativity. But that's why you use a human editor. And anything that a, a writer writes is always edited. I mean, we have everything at Proof has to have four, four eyes on it after it's been written, so six eyes. Um, and it's really important that, you know, the editors know what to watch for when a writer's written something. So there's no reason that they wouldn't know what to watch for when AI has written something. Sure. So, I mean, what would you, advice would you give to you know, a naive website owner, if you like, that, that just thinks I'm just going to churn all this out. I'm going to create a hundred, I'm going to build a website, get AI to write me a hundred blog posts, get it to write my product descriptions, get it to write my category text. How, how dangerous is that? Uh, just make sure you know what you're doing, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, hire some editors who know what they're doing. Um, uh, make sure you give AI a proper brief. Uh, make sure you're adding something interesting from your company or your product that nobody else is adding um I, I guess it's the same principles as creating any content just keep trying and iterating and creating different things using ai and then edit it to get what you want or keep changing the problem to get it as close to what you want and then get human notices on top but nothing should ever go out without a human looking at it Sure, yeah. And in terms of getting that um, sort of the brand tone of voice and things like that, again, is that what you train the AI to do over, over a period of time? So do you have like different work streams with different clients, for example, where you, you, you teach it how to write a certain brand tone of voice? Yeah, in, um, in smaller projects, you will teach it on, a, on an individual project basis. So you will, you will spend a lot of time being very careful about defining how it should write, the type of language it should use, the rhythms it should use whether it should be writing to any kind of specifications, um, giving it example, small example pieces of text uh, to give it an idea of the tone of voice and, and speed of flow and stuff. And then for longer projects where you've got access to 10,000 plus original pieces of information, like if you're working 
with a, a, a corpus of legal documentation or something like that. Um, you can actually train the model up using that existing text and it will start to learn the type of language and vocabulary and sentence structures and tone of voice and rhythms and so on from that original corpus. And then you can instruct it saying, using this particular model, do this for me. Okay. And then just going back a bit, I mean, in terms of how you've brought this into your business, I mean, how big was your internal team? Was it easy to get them on board or, you know, did they see this as a threat? again to their jobs i mean how did you get the people in your team on board with, with this change of direction well we're, we're quite a small team so there's only seven of us um but it it's been quite easy but i think i've just been lucky in the fact that the team are just really open-minded and excited about technology we do a lot of writing for b2b tech companies so i guess that is their world a little bit um so it's natural that they would be excited. But yeah, I think I've had to try to balance out um, making it exciting, but also making everybody aware that it is, you know, it is something that we have to adopt. Um, otherwise, we're going to fall behind, but not kind of doom moderation. <laughs> um, yeah, I think with, with a couple of people, it's been more difficult, but it's the same with kind of training every every friday i buy everyone in the business a delivery and we all sit on zoom with our microphone microphone and camera off and do our own training for an hour and then come back and talk about it for half an hour so just giving people the time and making sure they have the time because it's so easy i think to get bogged down in client work when you're an agency and think about the kind of big picture horizon type stuff and, and so, so making sure everyone has that time blocked out and they and it's sanctioned and they know that you're really focused on that, that's, that's really important. We've also built, with the tools we've built on top of it as well, um, we've tried to build some quite interesting and some fun tools to go on top of it rather than just, you know, we're using AI. We've, we've built tools that help with people's existing workflows um, that are easy for them to use, um, sorry, for us to use. Uh, you know, things like we, we, we've got this tool called the mixing bowl that will take a, um, a, a line of text, like a tagline or something, and then it'll measure it against loads and loads of business profiles. It'll mix it up with ideas from history and philosophy and art, and uh, it'll mix it up with other advertising campaigns from the past. It'll, it'll use those as models to recreate it and just give them this whole enormous document to, to spark thinking and, and, and further ideas for on what they're working on at the time. So I think if you include AI in an interesting way, then it helps people buy into it. And how did you layer this on then in terms of like from that starting point, how, what was the first thing that you sort of implemented to, to use AI with your, your work? The first thing, so I started looking at it about two and a half years ago. And the first thing we did was we had this, um, we had a client that were, up, they didn't have a huge amount of money. They were an affiliate site and they had thousands of merchants that they needed to get kind of descriptions for on their site. So Chris built us a very kind of, it seems so basic now compared to what we have now. Um, but he built us this amazing tool that would kind of take a question about each merchant and then turn it into this piece of content. And I remember we really couldn't get that much that much content out of GPT then, whereas now we can produce, you know, thousands of words at a time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was 
so interesting that project and got it actually got us really thinking about key messaging as well because you see how many of the same words all the companies use like leading provider and retailer were the first to think why an online as well and you know, they were on people's websites. You don't need to say you're an online provider and you can't all be leading. So yeah, it was, it was a really, really interesting kind of first foray into AI. Yeah. So is that where you use it for, for positioning and things like that and brand? You know, it's not just churning out content, right, that you guys do. It's more, uh, you can you can help with that brand positioning and everything else through through this. How, how this does is that work, for uh, not the conference. Yeah, yeah that's, that's our that's our main job is key messaging and positioning. So with the positioning, we have a very strict process that we go through um, that sort of helps people find their key messaging rather than just plucking these beautiful words out midair. Um, so we use AI in a, to help with a couple of things: in that competitor analysis, things like that. Then, but then the real beauty of it is what Chris has created, which is this mixing bowl where you give it um, the the name of the client and a brief description and then it just comes with all of these incredible you know you feed it the best slogans from history and and then it it kind of tries to replicate them but in a different way and then it brings in ideas from science and philosophy and chris i should probably actually let you talk through this you you know it well. yeah please do <laughs> it's it's never really it's not given us the, the the hit yet. It's not given us the answer to the problem, but it, it just, it, it's so what rapidly expands. What do you mean by expands. the hit? Sorry, Chris. Sorry? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by the hit? Well, it's never given us the one. Like, it's never given us the 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 single emotive phrase that we need in right. whichever thing we're doing. But the speed that it helps you think about stuff and spark new channels in your brain and new new pathways to thought is just incredible. I mean, you know, we could sit around being a bit tired on a Wednesday afternoon trying to work through something and we switch this thing on and all of a sudden we've got a thousand new ideas and new directions to go in and it just helps us produce much more rapidly or get to the answer much more rapidly. It's also a really, really simple example. A really simple thing that anyone can do with ChatGPT without having any tools is to... Um, one of my favorite things is we... we ask it what its understanding of a phrase is. So when you've come up with some way of describing your, your business or the product you're about to launch or whatever, you feed it to ChatGPT and you say, what do you think this means? <laughs> and Is this where the moist thing came from? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> spit, spit moist, that tagline. I don't know about that. <laughs> um because it's so it's so left field, it's so logical in in the way that it processes words and language, it will very quickly come back and tell you if something's rubbish or not. <laughs> so that's that's just something simple you do all the time. And I do it all the time as well. When I think I've thought of something brilliant, I just ask GPT and then it's back to the pub. So so you ask it if you think it's brilliant or if you think it's crap, basically. <laughs> no, like, what's your understanding? You know, like we're a, we're a I don't know, Charlie, what's your vagary example? Um, archi website architects. Yeah, we're like we're we're website architects for the information age for dynamic. I don't know flower pot manufacturers or something. Some rubbish that someone's made up on their LinkedIn tagline, <laughs> and you you feed it that. Like, what does that mean? And very quickly you'll see it doesn't have a clue. And if GPT doesn't have a clue, no one else has got a clue either. 
I see. So in terms of like, say you was an agency or a business then, and you're trying to, because I, I guess for us, for example, we're a search marketing agency, you know, the, we all say the same things, right? So how would you help an agency like, like mine, for example, differentiate itself through that, that position? Because obviously, you, you know, do you feed it the values and things like that? that all, you know, we, we've all been through the process, right, of where we're trying to think of a mission statement and what our values are, you know, all this whole process that these companies do to try and make them stand out. Is that how, how would you uh, take that? Would you take all that information and feed it or...? We feed some of it. I mean, we've got a, a very, very long and detailed process to get to that point where you can differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself specifically in a um, in a commoditized market as well. Um, you know, we can you we've, talk us through that process, Chris? Blame me. I can't talk you through all of it because it will go <laughs> on some of it. Long, 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 long time. But we we start off looking at uh, what we call your umbrella statement. We go through identifying brand archetypes and brand behaviors. The goal is to very basics of it are we try and get something concrete, something concrete that people can understand, something in, in concrete language that we could all just get immediately. And then from that, we work out lots of ways that you can demonstrate that all the time. So let's say you decide you're a, you're a, you're one of your uh, key things is you're a culture brand. It's all about the culture inside your agency and whatnot. We work out ways that you can reiterate that and hammer that home every time that you do any kind of brand communication whether it's you know email signatures blog posts log forms white papers talks sales decks whatever it is um and that's that's the kind of that's the beginning of the process and then from there we move on to looking at what the differentiators are or could be um they don't necessarily have to exist at that time they could be something that you can create um we look at how that fits into the entire marketplace so we look at broad spectrum of the competitors we look at the types of language that they're using and how um how they're positioning themselves and what spaces are missing what's overused what's hackneyed where you could fit into that that place um and we do a load of other desk-based research and we put all that together um and we produce what's called a brand story guide which is like the, it's, it's a it's a document like a tone of voice document but it's for how you tell your story all the time the key is that everybody who's ever writing anything for you or communicating in any way is using the same types of um, tropes in everything that they produce. And that way you will be remembered constantly as, you know, the search agency that is blah, 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 that does blah, 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 because of blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's something like that. I mean, we've got this is a 60-step process. Hence, we made this deck of cards with 60 different cards in there. And we, it's, it's horrible. People scream and cry and chuck things around the room, but eventually we get there. What's that deck of cards thing? Can you talk us through that? Uh, this is, um, we use this in our workshops and with our clients. Uh, we just decided to codify the whole process into a, into a deck of cards. Because we're doing AI and stuff all the time, we thought it'd be nice to have something that's actually physical that people get to handle in, in meetings, as well as using the fancy AI tools and the, the sometimes quite abstract things we're thinking about as well. And what sort of things are on them? And these, uh, we've got, there's all sorts. So these, um, these ones just on the top here are, we call, them, uh, we call them the jokers. So these are things that you've got to look out for. So if you, um, you know, when, when someone's working through in a workshop, they'll lay these out in front of them and, and check that what they're talking about doesn't land on one of these. So for example, this one says it's a table stake. You know, 
a classic one is uh, a design agency talking about the quality of its designers. We've got the greatest designers. Now, of course you've got the greatest designers. Right? I wouldn't want to go and hire a design agency who's got rubbish designers, right? So it's a table stake. Well, you're in a race to the bottom. You know, you, you're like talking about becoming the cheapest or whatever, or, or nobody cares. That's my favorite. People choose differentiators that nobody actually cares about. You know, we're, we're a soft drinks manufacturer and we bottle everything by moonlight. It's awesome, man, but I don't really care if have bits in it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's stuff like that. And then all the brand archetypes and tones of voice notes and, uh, and just tons and tons and tons of stuff. It just makes the like the workshops a lot more lively. So instead of kind of sitting down, typing away on a laptop, you're all moving about, and it's a much more conducive environment to creating ideas. And you produce that yourself, did you? That... Yeah, completely yeah. AI free. Completely <laughs> done by hand. In fact, it's got we call yeah. it an origin mark. And if you can see that in the bottom of this thing, so we've got these yeah. things called origin mark now in web focus origin marks that we. Um, we use to show whether something is human created, whether it's AI created, whether it's mostly human with a bit of AI or mostly AI with a bit of human on. Um, and we kind of put those out into the world, well, about three months ago, I think, Charlie, and uh, there's quite a lot of people started using them, actually. We've got a, a inquiry from a publisher to put them on all their publications. They've appeared in a couple of books already. And so what tools are people using to sort of differentiate and identify AI written content? Because I, I, I saw something the other day, I think, where you can see, you can feed it into this content, basically, and it can tell you if it was written by AI or not. The most famous one at the moment is uh, Zero GPT, and it will, it's pretty accurate. I've, I've beaten it a few times, but it takes a lot of iterating to, to actually beat it. Um, it works on, I'm not sure how Zero GPT works, but they... They use something called burst analysis. Humans tend to write in bursts of energy and then low energy and then high energy and low energy. And you can analyze that with a machine. So you can, um, AI would just write in the same level of energy the whole way through. Mm. It doesn't change, which is kind of when you read AI written content, it, it doesn't really get you here, right? It's just sort of, okay. It's like reading the instructions to a sound. Yeah, it's very factual, isn't it? Yeah, it's factual or it's just flat. Even when you get it to write, you know, write me an exciting story about uh, a banana and a spaceship, uh, it still comes out as a bit like, and that's how those things work. Um, and I'm sure Google's built it into its algorithm already. Whether or not it cares at the moment, I don't know. But um, Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because, I mean, surely it's going to have its own version of this where it will identify yeah ai or human and again it's it's kind of going back to well how, how much is google going to value that content is it gonna see you know are we going to see a, an update where it punishes lots of sites or is that going to be a while off that do you think or i don't know I mean, it's a million dollar question right but um per my personal opinion is it will be clever enough to penalize the rubbish ai generated content and leave the good content because after all good content is good content whether it's written by machine or human um but it will very quickly penalize all of the spammy ai content that's going to come out there google also has skin in the game because it's got bard so it mm. kind of doesn't mind if you're using ai content it just wants you to be providing the best experience I guess that's what it's, you, you get out what you put in, don't you? I guess so. It's again, it's like you say, the spammy stuff where it's literally writing an instruction, produce me a piece of content on that, 
is is the spammy stuff, and and it's it's going to be okay with AI assisted yeah. content. Yeah, and the, you know, there's that spamming content. It's no different to the stuff that came out of article spinners, you know, three years yeah, ago, yeah. and stuff that's coming out of the two censor word content writers these days. So, I think also it will democratize content a little bit as well because if you're if English is your second language, but you have brilliant ideas, AI can AI is easier to edit in some ways because there's never any spelling or grammar mistakes, which is very relaxing when you work with 150 writers usually. <laughs> but it also means, you know, if you're not a natural writer, you just your ideas will come across, and that's the thing it can't do is the ideas. So I'm hoping it will be quite good actually. What do you think of like translating as well? So like in terms of a, an English. You know, an English business can it use it effectively to translate that into other markets? Is it better than Google Translate? I presume it is. I think it's better than Google Translate, but I think it can go off very wrong. It can right. go a lot less well than Google as well. It's kind of less safe. I would never recommend that anyone uses Google to translate their website, though. And I think as well, co companies who don't look at the different markets and what the different markets want. So, for example, if you do key messaging and positioning. It will be different in each country for mm. one company, even if that's a slight change, because every market's so different and they're looking for different things. So it's important to, you know, actually transcreate rather than translate anything. Yeah, I tell you what's really interesting with translation, I think, is you don't actually need, for certain content, you don't need the translation anymore because you can say to ChatGPT, write this in French. And it creates in French, and it creates in French as well as it creates in English. I think it's got. It won't say how many languages it's got, but I think it it has about twenty twenty that it's very competent in, and about seventy languages in all that it can actually write in from scratch. Problem is, I can't read it well enough to tell if it's writing well or not. So. No, that's what I was going to say. So I, mean, I guess there's a couple of elements of that, isn't it? So so create it in French rather than translate this into French is a big differentiator there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so now I don't need to write it in English and then find a translator and then have it translated. I just go straight off. But then is, is the meanings of certain words and things, I guess that's where, you, again, you need that editor. You need someone to cast their eye over it. The same as you would if you asked it to write in English. I mean, it's doing, yeah. it's doing exact, the creation part is exactly the same in French or German or Spanish or Italian as it is in English. Just mm. using this probabilistic model of like, I've got the basic understanding of what I'm talking about here's my first three words, what's the next word most likely to be? And that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Make it up as it goes along, like the bloke down the pub who's read the Daily Mail that morning. <laughs> it's just giving his version of it. Yeah, who, who only formulates thoughts just as they reach his lips. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this weekend, I, I don't know, did you see the Michael Schumacher story? What are your views on that in terms of, um, did, you, did you see that? It's... Yeah, terrible. I'm glad that editor's been fired. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But is there a risk of that sort of stuff happening more and more, like fake news, you know, going to another level effectively, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I don't know what they were thinking, whether it was written by AI or not. Mm. Well, it, it did say on the cover, it's like, it was, I can't remember the words exactly, it was basically for entertainment only. It's like, we made this interview up using AI. That's funny, isn't it? Not really, though, was but it? But it wasn't really funny at all. <laughs> no. no. They could have thought of a better subject. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, Sports Illustrated as well decided they were going to have AI write everything. Then they wrote some really bad nutrition advice, and they've had to recall that statement. 
um i think it's it's interesting and then there's that series on itv i think of deep fake neighbor wars or something right. so they've made all these characters like kim kardashian stuff and i think it's really interesting to see where where entertainment will go there's, there's ai influences on on uh instagram with you know millions and millions of followers and you know they can never have enough days they can they never have to rest um it'll be interesting to see how how that works mm. and i guess that those topics like your money your life again you know producing content from ai to give you health advice or or financial advice again is is where it's going to really be careful exactly. uh, the next iteration of gpt i'm not sure when this will come i saw one of the technical founders do a presentation on it the other day it will they're building in um i think they call them plugins basically so they're building in something where gpt will actually go off to the web because it doesn't use the web at the moment so when it writes something you can ask it to fact check it so it will then go and fact check its own writing and come back and correct it based on uh sources it's found on the internet presumably decent sources it's found on the internet. Uh, so even that will start to change. And there's a real danger that we look at what it does now and we assume that's what it does. But really, mm. it's so young. Like it's, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's seconds old. It's like someone's just invented it. And well, it's just popped out of nowhere, it seems, isn't it? Yeah, November the 30th last year. Yeah. Why do I need Google anymore? Yeah, yeah. No wonder they issued a red alert that day. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> No one needs to search for anything anymore. So, yeah, come, you know, November this year, who knows what it's going to be doing. And and that's that's the interesting thing, the terrifying thing, and the exciting thing all roll into one, really. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, like you say, it's so early on, uh, video and, and, you know, imagery especially, it's got so, you know, so such a short, short space of time. It's improved so much. It hasn't quite got fingers and hands, I don't think, has it? But it's... <laughs> It's, <laughs> I've seen some really dodgy images of that. But wh where does it get its information from then? So if it's not getting it from the internet, wh where is it getting all the information from? It does get it from the internet, but it cuts off in September 2021. Yeah, so it's it did not get it from the internet. So when it's fact-checking yeah, so against the internet, is that not where it got it from in the first place? Do you know what I mean? No, it doesn't actually know anything. This is where people make the mistake. They, right. It doesn't. It doesn't know anything at all. It's literally deciding what to say next based on the probability of what what it thinks should come next based on what it's said already. So it's it's kind of hard for us to to conceptualize, but it's it's literally guessing the next word again and again and again and again to create sentences. And it's doing that because it's read, you know, the entire world's corpus. It's read two trillion words or whatever the crazy number is from the internet, from other sources, from things they fed it, from whatnot. They've given it contextual information around some of the broad topics. Um, and that's it. It's just guessing again and again and again. So whenever we're putting anything in, how do I fix my washing machine? It's not going off looking for that and giving you an answer. It's just based on the eight trillion articles it's read, written by content writers, on how to fix washing machines is giving its best guess at how to answer the question. So then if you've bought a washing machine after, was it November 2021? Yeah. Can you not tell you how to fix it? And you've got to go to Google. <laughs> you've got to go to Google. <laughs> 
Will it update annually then? Will it update again? Or, or is it now reliant on basically what, what we feed it? So, you know, is it is it now getting smarter and smarter because people are feeding it more and more information or? Both of the above. It's updating itself um, constantly from our own feedback. When you click that little thumbs down button, something actually does happen on the other end because the team goes and looks at why it didn't work and so on. Um, but also I think the more recent models have, they they stopped more recently in the knowledge that, or in the in the reading that's done. Oh, okay. So in terms of the future, in terms of someone getting, you know, into this now, how can people stay ahead of the curve in terms of, or, or even keep up with the curve, I guess, because it's moving so fast, isn't it? Because is it too, you know, are people now too late to the party? Is it still very much at the beginning? You know, where does someone learn how to use, uh, say, ChatGPT? Is it just experimentation? Yeah, it's just experimentation. Definitely not too late to the party. I mean, we're all going to be using this, so the more of a foundation we can have, the better. But I think you've just got to kind of keep playing with it. I, Chris and I were saying we sort of use it as a co-worker with an opinion. So you know that it's not definitely going to be factually correct, but you're kind of using it to sound off sometimes your stupid ideas that you would just turn to your co-worker and ask them about, and you kind of already know the answer. Um, but sometimes it just comes up with such such brilliant stuff as well, and, and there's so many things it can be used to do. So the more people use it, the more they'll discover new things that they like using it for. Definitely not too late to the party. It's... it's... It's one of those, it seems complicated, but it's quite, to, to get into it and use it in the most basic level is is really straightforward, really easy. So I just encourage people to get out there and use it as best they can. I mean, even my dad's using it to try and qualify what his solicitor's explaining to him. He's asking it questions and then looking at what solicitor said and then being amazed, like, ooh, said the same thing. Oh, really? I myself 200 quid, yeah. <laughs> Would you recommend using it as a solicitor? <laughs> I am not going to say that on a recording. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe don't use it as a doctor or a solicitor at, at this point. Not yet. yet. No, not yet. One day. One day it will be. You know, but certainly if you want to fix your lawnmower or, or a washing machine pre-2021, then you're, you're okay. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Okay, and then finally, can you just uh, give us a bit more information around how you could help an agency or a business? So, chance chance to pitch your own services, really. So, for example, my agency, yeah, if, if we were looking to position ourselves, how would you work with us? How would that work? Nope, oh, Chris, I thought you were going to go. <laughs> so, we help, we help companies with their key messaging predominantly, but we found that we need the positioning to do that. So, with the positioning, we have the concrete foundations of who you are, what you do, how you explain yourself and who your customers are um, and how you can differentiate yourself. I think as an agency, it's so difficult to mm. differentiate yourself because there's no kind of IP that, you know, there's nothing really to cling on to. So we help people find that thing that they can, that's very concrete in a customer's mind and they can kind of hang the rest of their messaging on. Then we would create the key messaging that helps you explain all of that and the brand story guide that helps anybody who's going to create any content going forward for your brand to kind of explain that. So when Chris was talking about the tone of voice earlier, I was writing a very long and impassioned blog post about this at the weekend. Like I think tone of voice documents 
tell us how to say things but not what to say mm. and it's kind of it's indicative of the problem with content as a whole which is we all know we should be producing content but we don't really have anything to say so the brand story guide gives you something to say rather than telling you how to say it although it also kind of has a bit of tone of voice as well no i think you're right i mean in terms of like the challenge especially agencies are a great example aren't we we're all trying to find some unique you know silver bullet that splits us apart from the competition but actually what people are normally buying into is that relationship or, or the skill set like you say you know we've all got the best people we've all, we're all the best at it but um actually then in terms of our marketing and the information that we're putting out there not just the way we're saying it is so important yeah so it's really interesting yeah and there'll be something be different something about you we just have to argue about it and spend a long time getting to it but there'll be something that every single company has something we've never failed yet so that's brilliant. So where can people find out about you both? Where can they reach you if they want to talk more? Uh, LinkedIn or content.com. Brilliant. Well, great. Thank you very much for coming on today. It's been really interesting. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much for having us, Chris. Nice one. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, yes. Charlie. You've been listening to Confessions of an Agency Owner with me, Chris Ailey. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, subscribe to my newsletter, and find out more about my agency at honchosearch.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Until next time.